everyone, and welcome to episode 207 of the MTG Goldfish Podcast. It's Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, and this week, we got a small crew. I'm joined today by Richard, the owner of MTG Goldfish. How's it going today, Richard? Uh, it's going well, Seth. Going well. Uh, that's good to hear. Uh, Krim couldn't make it today, so we're just going to be two-manning it. But Krim will be back in the future. And today, we kind of got a lot to talk about. We had a BNR announcement this morning, and rather than the traditional no changes, we actually had something happen. So we got something to talk about BNR-wise. We wanted to talk a little bit about pre-release for Ravnica Allegiance. There was also some major updates to Magic Arena, uh, and also we wanted to get into Modo a little bit. We talked a lot about Arena these days, but there's some interesting Magic Online stuff going on as well. So that's kind of our main topics for today. Also, fish mail. Uh, so anyway, before we jump into it, a quick reminder that our show today is brought to you by SpikesAcademy.com. Spikes Academy is the world's first Magic the Gathering e-learning academy. They have really cool online courses by great players like Paul Vito Damodorosa, Reed Duke. You can join the academy at SpikesAcademy.com and even get 10% off with the code Goldfish. And to learn more, check out Spikes underscore Academy on Twitter. So thank you so much to Spikes Academy for their support. And uh, let's jump into it. Starting with the big news, we had a BNR announcement today, Richard. Uh, why don't you tell us what happened with the BNR? All right. Eggs, no more. KCI, <laughs> banned, banned from modern. So, Seth, you were dead on last week. Uh, when you predicted that they would remove this deck from the format and then uh, to the chagrin of everyone, Stoneforge Mystic is still banned. <laughs> so no change there, but KCI is dead. They're like, I'm done with this. Please, eggs, go away. I don't want to see any artifact-based combo again. They're just They're just getting rid of it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I am super happy. I think that was the right choice. They could have taken... Uh, routes that would have been less impactful to KCI itself, where you ban Scrap Trawler, you hit like Max Opal or Ancient Stirrings, but they just went right for they went right for the head and just took down the deck altogether. Without KCI, I don't think we have to worry about this for a while, and I don't think they're going to print another KCI type card in Standard. Or they just don't print those style of cards anymore. So I think we might finally be saved from eggs. Although I thought that last time when they banned Second Sunrise, and then we had KCI. So who knows? Maybe like three years from now, someone will figure out how to make it work again. But I think this is a really good change for Modern. Eggs will always find a way, Seth. <laughs> we will somehow get this deck back in a couple years. But, yeah, I, I guess no more Solitaire. I, I don't know. Uh, I think it's fine. I'm surprised. Maybe not so surprised, given your reasoning last week. But I thought they would save. So what this means, in my mind, is Stoneforge is coming <laughs> is coming next VR. That, that's what I've got in my head. Because if KCI is gone, there's no boogeyman to get rid of the Shake Up Standard next, or Shake Up Modern next time. So big unbanding, possibly Stoneforge coming for the, for the next pro tour. That's kind of what I'm thinking too. I really think that Stoneforge will get unbanned at some point. One thing I really liked about this BNR announcement is unlike the typical announcement, which I mean, the typical announcement is no changes, whatever, but even the typical we ban something announcement is usually just like a couple of paragraphs, but this is 
they wrote a full article. Uh, Ian Duke wrote a full article breaking down all the thoughts and reasonings why KCI was banned, talked about some other cards, why they weren't banned, why they're okay, but they're keeping an eye on them. So I really like that. One of the interesting things to come out after this uh, from Aaron Forsyth on Twitter was that their second best performing deck, as far as their research into banning KCI, uh, was actually control decks. Blue White and Jeskai Control were the second best performing decks behind KCI by whatever metrics, which are a little confusing, uh, but basically they were the second best decks, and that was one of their reasons for not unbanning Stoneforge right now, is they felt like those decks were doing well already, and just giving those decks Stoneforge might actually be a bad thing, but Stoneforge is definitely on the watch list and i think that sooner or later it will definitely happen why would a control deck want stoneforge i mean i think we see that in like legacy right like esper stoneblade is kind of like that's not a control control deck deck. like miracles (laughs) control deck like you have colonnades and snapcasters what more do you want seth (laughs) like teferi (laughs) possibly like jace like what do you need stoneforge for stoneforge is for all the mid-range decks that don't exist to battle it out (laughs) like if tarmogoyf isn't good Stoneforge Mystic won't be good, so uh, good luck to everyone buying Stoneforge Mystics. <laughs> That's the best part. Stoneforge, it's it's the new Bloodbraid. Bloodbraid used to do this, where every BNR, it would get bought out, it wouldn't get unbanned, it would crash, then it would get bought out again the next time, and then eventually it did get unbanned, and Stoneforge is doing the same thing. Every BNR announcement, so I think it'll happen sooner or later. Uh I guess it's fine. Like, they they do probably want to save something to shake things up before a Pro Tour. They have promised that we're still getting modern Mythic Championships, I guess they are now. So I expect that we will get one this year, and they probably want to shake something out. One thing about this banning, though, is modern is still pretty busted. Like, KCI is a special kind of horrible that requires <laughs> this, like, archaic rules knowledge, and it beats all the hate cards, and, like, it definitely needed to go, but Modern is still pretty busted. I don't think that banning KCI all of a sudden means, oh, okay, we're playing, like, fair Modern now. Like, it's, I think it's still r- relatively as broken as it was before. You just don't have to worry about KCI. Yeah. D- yeah. Stoneforge. The- oh, pro tip. If you want Stoneforge Mystic, you need to get all these other cards as well. Like, all the equipment Stoneforge is going to fetch up. So don't forget about those. And then if you really think Stoneforge is going to run rampant, you need the the Stoneforge metagame cards. Like, uh, is it even modern legal? Like, the equipment that kills other equipment? The one that legacy players use? Or oh, it is. Oh, Manriki oh. Gusari, I think. Yeah, that's uh that's from Kamigawa. Yeah, I and so then the land, video. the land that knocks equipment off. Uh, that one is not. Modern that was not Modern Tower Legal. of the Magistrate. Yeah, yeah. I, I have many experiences <laughs> with Stoneforge battles. So yeah, you got to get the whole package: your swords, uh, your batter skulls. No GTA, no GTA. So so tell me, Richard, how broken do you think Stoneforge would be in Modern? Well, like, it's where like are not, you from? So from okay. a unbanning perspective, the the thing I would worry about is it pushing out other mid-range decks. But mid-range, mid-range okay. decks kind of suck right now, so it doesn't matter, <laughs> right? But like, for example, if Stoneforge is too good, it might push out Tarmogoyf. But like, that's not really an issue because Death Shadow has pushed out Tarmogoyf, right? Or, uh, you know, you might not play Bob or something, you play Stoneforge. But like, in the face of unfair decks or control decks, like, no one cares. They're, they're gonna yeah. kill your Stoneforge and then, or they'll just combo through your Stoneforge or the Coligans command your Stoneforge or whatever, right? Like it's not, 
it's not that bad, especially if you have Colgan's command nowadays. So in that regards, not bad, but maybe in mid-range matchups, people might lean towards Stoneforge. So overall, I think it's pretty good, and it might actually give you some new archetypes, like, like I don't know, mono white strategies, death and taxes strategies might get a little more power, and maybe they can somehow control the unfair decks. So I think it'll probably be good. Uh, I'm not too worried that we'll have a crazy metagame of Stoneforge, because guess what? You still fatal push Stoneforge Mystic and carry on your plan, right? And yeah, you can turn five Batterskull, but you really feel like it, right? But, you know, like it doesn't matter. It's too slow. Yeah, I'm not especially scared of it either. There's so many good answers, and there were answers that didn't exist. You mentioned Coligan's Command, but also like a Braid Seize play now. So there's a lot of just like incidental hate for artifacts. And uh, a turn three Batterskull just does not really scare me in modern compared to what I the other stuff that happens. It's like you're getting compared to a game a, win. Yes, yes, I'll yes take you're the literally game dead, win. or you're getting hit by like three Arclight Phoenixes, or like horrible degenerate things happen on turn three in modern. And a batter skull just does not really does not really frighten me compared to the rest of the possibilities. So I really think it'll come off sooner or later, uh, probably before the next pro tour. Otherwise, I think modern might be stable for the time being they don't really seem interested in banning Mox Opal or Ancient Stirrings, which uh, were a couple of cards they talked about, and Faithless Looting was not even mentioned. That was the other card that people tend to bring up as potentially bannable, and there's not a mention of Faithless Suiting in the article about the banning, so maybe that means, like, they just were writing about KCI and didn't get to it, or maybe it means it's not on the radar. The only other banning... uh interest, I guess, would be Pauper, where there has been a big debate about Gush in the format, especially now that Foil has been added with Ultimate Masters, and they basically said there hasn't been enough time. We're keeping an eye on it. Uh, we hear the conversation, but we think it's premature to make any Pauper changes. So basically, we'll see next go around. It's definitely something that I do believe will happen eventually. I think we even saw this with Paragon Drake, and Paragon Drake was way more busted in Pauper than Gush, I believe, as far as just, like, how much of the metagame it dominated, the metagame percentage, and even that, it survived a couple of BNR announcements based on the same reasoning. Like, we want to give the format a chance to adjust, we got to see what happens, so if you are a Gush lover, enjoy it while you can, and if you're a Gush hater, just uh, wait it out a little bit, because <laughs> I do expect that that'll, that'll go eventually. Uh, all right. Any other BNR news, Richard, or should we move on to some other topics? Nope. Let's move on. All right. So next up, we want to talk a little bit about pre-release. It was pre-release weekend for Revnik Allegiance. And uh, Richard, did you make it out to your local game shop this weekend? No, but I managed to <laughs> launch Magic Arena. <laughs> the, the power of digital. Uh, I played pre-release. I was punished for it. I opened a Kaya. Uh, I actually opened like a, like all these Orzov cards. So, uh, the, the removal where you sacrifice or pay five life. I opened three of those. I opened a Mortify, opened Kaya, and then like nothing in black <laughs> and white. <laughs> so I, I had like this really janky Mardu deck and, uh, I went, I went four and three. It, it was not, it was not the best run ever, but I did have the, the demon, the four mana four, four. Uh, with Spectacle oh, the, 3. Okay, yep. Yeah. Spawn of Mayhem. Spawn of Mayhem. I had Skewer the, Skewer the Critics. And I actually found 
it pretty hard to enable spectacle. <laughs> like uh, when, when you think of skewer, you think of lightning bolts, but most of the time it was three mana <laughs> removal <laughs> because you want to remove something and then like hit them. Uh, and, and usually like spectacle couldn't be activated the way I want it to be. I found Riot to be absurd. Whenever you play a Riot deck, it is just so scary. Like a 1-1 one, one with Riot is so scary because <laughs> like at any moment you can be dead, right? You're like I've stabilized the one, I got blockers, and then they're just like, oh, random hasty dude, you're dead. So I found Riot to be actually way better than I thought uh, in practice than on paper. Yeah, I I kind of did the same thing. I fired up. We did it on stream, actually, on Thursday. We did uh, a couple of sealed events, and then we had a Blizzard this weekend, so I didn't actually make it out to a paper events, but we played Azorius uh, in our first league, and oh my goodness, that deck was insane. We went technically went 7-1, but the 1 was actually a punt that we should have <laughs> won that game anyway, but it felt, we opened like uh, Dovin as a planeswalker. We had like three other okay on color rares, like the unbreakable formation that makes your stuff indestructible, uh, tithe taker. And then we were actually, we, a high alert deck. So we were playing two of the humunguluses and also two of the unblockable two five knight with vigilance. It's like five mana. And we just wrecked people with high alert. It was so good. It felt like we could not lose with it. And the only reason we did is, uh, is because of a pun. And then we played a second one and played five color hydroid crosses. And that went a little bit worse. I think we went three and three of that one, but it seemed like a fun format. Like overall, I really enjoyed the games I was playing. Like, what did you think of it fun level wise, Richard? Like, did you enjoy it? Yeah. I, I thought, I thought the guilds felt pretty unique and their mechanics were pretty cool. Uh, I'd want to see draft because in sealed, you kind of get stuck with your pool. So a lot of people are playing three colors, four colors. Uh, so if you actually just actually had a pool that supported your colors and just curved out, you were doing pretty well because <laughs> a lot of the decks were clunky. So I, I think it was pretty cool. I like the new mechanics. Uh, I especially like Gruul. I'm very sad I did not get a better Gruul pool, but Gruul was very good. And I'm just upset at Kaya still. I have the worst yeah. luck with planes. Like, I'm good at opening planeswalkers at pre-releases. I've opened Tybalt. <laughs> I've opened Jaya Ballard. I've opened Kaya. All useless. I'm surprised I didn't get Jace Cunning Castaway. That would have finished my trifecta, <laughs> my quadfecta <laughs> of useless planeswalkers to open. I mean, you're you're kind of like traditionally you open bad sealed pool, so it's only right that it carries over to to arena and you get like the Kaya planeswalker mocking you. <laughs> the thing is, Kaya would be decent in in traditional Vesta threes. I was thinking like, okay, so we use this against Orzov, right? We can exile their tokens, right? Like, there, there's a point to all of this. And I'm like, wait a minute, there's no sideboard on arena, useless, right? I'm immediately removed from the deck, not main deckable. And I was actually counting the number of cards that could have been exiled every game. It's like two. <laughs> so if you even like somehow manage to ultimate Kaya, it, like it does two damage. Like not, yeah, it, not very, not very fun, uh, limited card unless they're just playing like tokens. <laughs> it, it might be the worst limited planeswalker of all time. Actually, like Tybalt's probably worse, but no, I think Kaya can loot. is like Tybalt can fix your uh, hand, but it's random. You just have to. D- <laughs> it could be anything. It, it could be. Hand. It could be another Tybalt coming up. <laughs> Tybalt always has the possibility for hope. I mean, Jace Cunning Castaway clearly wins here. We got to give one up for Jace. He makes a bear. <laughs> yeah. 
one of the interesting things is we both didn't actually get to pay for pre-releases and played on Arena, but from following social media this weekend, it seems like paper pre-releases did really well. People were talking about their pre-releases like being sold out, even though it was a snowstorm and just really good attendance, and almost all of them were saying they were seeing a decent number uh, or even a lot of new people who had never been to pre-release before that had either started playing Magic or returned to Magic because of Arena. So while some of us old-timers were like, all right, we're going to just stay home and play Arena, it seems like Arena was actually a really good thing for paper pre-releases, which is exciting because there was some concern that like, oh, if you can just play an Arena, is everyone just going to stay home? Is it going to hurt local game stores? But it sounds like there is a crossover and people are showing up in paper paper to get that token that'll give you a free draft or whatever in playing in paper. So I thought that was pretty neat. Yeah. People love guilds. Uh, Watsi always says this, so I, I guess no surprise. Uh, it's actually especially good considering uh, it's football weekend, uh, so people still going out to play uh, bodes well in spite of arena and football and blizzards and everything else. So it seems like magic is doing very well at the local game store still. Yeah, that's definitely uh, good to hear that it's doing well. So uh, anyway, let's talk a little bit more about arena, but taking it from a different perspective. So we got a huge update last week, uh, an update that had been long awaited really uh, including the fix of the fifth card problem which we've talked about for a long time some changes to rank uh richard why don't you walk us through kind of the highlights of this big update all right so duplicate problem the, the highlight of this update vault still remains but vault is only going to apply for your commons and uncommon so those will still fill up your vault and then your vault will still pump out the same mythics uh and wild you know uh the mythic and rare wild cards at the same rate but now uh from booster packs if you open a rare or mythic uh that you already own four of it gets replaced with a different card of that same rarity from that set so if you open like a mythic planeswalker you already own four of them it'll give you another mythic from the same set if you've completed your set so all the rares and mythics from that set the card is replaced with gems 20 gems for rare 40 gems for mythic rare for reference a booster pack costs 200 gems uh in limited you still get the duplicate cards so your pool will remain you know uh, authentic and at the end of the draft uh, they'll compensate you uh, with gems uh, for your duplicates. And then for ICRs, uh, you will get gems when you have duplicates. So they won't swap over into one that you don't have, but you will just get gems for it. And that's basically it. And then the, the other announcement is ranked best of three starting next season. Yeah. So this is, I think, a pretty big deal. The fifth card issue has been a big one for a long time, and there is a bit of a trade-off. So Wizards has been pretty upfront, if you listen to various podcasts with people that have worked on Arena, that they kind of have the economy set to a certain level, and they're not trying to make it any more or less generous. So when they technically make it more generous by getting rid of these duplicates, something's got to go. And the thing that went was actually fairly minor compared to what people were worried about, which is your individual card rewards 
upgrade to rares and mythics at a lower rate than they used to. They're still there. You're still going to get them, but you're less likely to have the uncommon upgrade to a rare mythic. And I feel like that's a pretty decent trade-off. My experience so far with duplicate protection is that it is a really good solution to the fifth card problem, where uh, it was very frustrating to open relatively useless cards. Now, you're always getting a useful card, and if you have a complete set, the 20 or 40 gems is actually a way better rate than you were getting for dusting. Like, it took uh, 90 extra mythics to open the vault before. Uh, Now you get a new booster pack for or five mythics, which I think is a much more reasonable rate. So I think this is a really good and important change. And one of the cool things it does is it kind of lets you figure out how much it costs to just buy a full collection, which was hard to do before. So I know I opened 200 packs of Revnik Allegiance, and the end result for me was... almost every single rare X4 in the set, assuming I also spent my wild cards that I opened, and then I was, I think, 17 Mythics short if I used my wild cards, so for about $200, I was able to more or less get everything I need. I'm sure that with just, like, playing the game, I will be able to fill in those gaps before I get to the next set, so it seems like for about 200-ish dollars a set, you should be able to play pretty much whatever you want. So I think, what do you think of this change, Richard? Do you think this is a good thing? Is this what we were hoping for with the duplicate protection? No idea. <laughs> Someone has to do the math. Uh, but I can tell you it feels better, right? Like you said, if I have four of a mythic and I open another one, it is not, it is way better than the rate, right? Because instead of getting 40 gems, you're guaranteed a mythic you don't already have. So what that means is like, as you complete your collection, you have most mythics, you're guaranteed that the next mythic you open is valuable to you. So I think that's actually really good uh, when you're buying booster packs. So I think this is good. No one has done the math, but I feel like this is good, especially if you're just trying to build out your, your standard deck. Like you're guaranteed that no mythic is wasted, no rare is wasted until you fill out the set, at which point, like, eh, you know, you filled up the set. It's, you know, like, what do you what do you want now? You're probably not going to be buying booster packs uh, on mass. And it's interesting that they they give you less gems to prevent the abuse, right? Because what they didn't want was for you to fill out uh, Ravnica Allegiance and then just keep buying Ravnica Allegiance to guarantee uh, mythics for everything else. So they, they got around that problem. So I think this is a pretty good solution, but someone's going to need to math it out. Uh, because yeah. I'm curious if it's the same result. Like you just pay the same amount of money. Uh, the, you know, the, how it happens is different, but ultimately they're calculating players based on how much how much money they're spending a month. And I wonder if they made it cheaper for us with these changes. Yeah, I... Th- I don't think it's cheaper. I think it's roughly the same, but I don't have like a full economic breakdown. Uh, the other interesting aspect of this, and it's a very small thing, but one of the problems that Arena had was limited only players, where if you're a limited only player, you complete a set just naturally by drafting, and then you really get hit hard uh, with just not being able to keep drafting because of how the prizes are awarded. You get booster packs, which are relatively worthless, or stuff is going into the vault, and the vault gets you wild cards, which are also worthless if you only care about limited. So having it be so, if you 
run a draft and you get extra copies after you have a full set, it's not a huge deal, but you're getting back like a hundred gems maybe per draft, maybe more than that if you rare draft a little bit. So it does actually help limited only players be able to keep drafting and keep drafting because of that gem rebate after they get a full collection. So I think that's a nice additional upside of this change as well. What do you think about them paying you back in gems instead of gold? Like what is what is the point of gold and gems at this point? Like I, I do not understand the difference. My understanding was gems was real money you put in. Gold was something generated in the game. But now you're getting gems back. You already got gems back for certain events. Gold and gems can be used more or less interchangeably to buy things. Like what is going on with this two currency system? Like it doesn't even make any sense anymore. I don't have an answer for that. It is <laughs> a little bit weird. All I can figure is wizards like it benefits them if you, like, don't have enough gems or enough gold to enter events, so you have to spend more money, essentially, so maybe, like, oh, having I see. two says currencies. Your, your quests give you gold every day, right? They want to give you a little, you know, some gems here so it splits your currency? Is that the theory? That's, I mean, that's all I can think of, is two currencies probably makes wizards slightly more money because I've had this happen on Magic Online before where you have like not quite enough play points to enter a vet, but you have not quite enough actual tickets to enter a vet. And you're like, oh, all right, I guess I just got to go buy tickets because they're, if I have, if you could combine my currencies, I'd have enough to play the event I want. But since it's split up and you can't enter with part of each, you have to go spend more money. So that's all I can figure is it? it's a way to make sure people keep putting more money in the system. All right. And then last question. Are we one step closer to right-clicking a mythic and saying, turn into gems? <laughs> like, we're almost we're almost at dusting right now. They have assigned currency value <laughs> to rares and mythics. Can I just right-click my, my Kaya and be like, give me 40 gems, I don't want this card? Like, it seems like we're almost there. It does seem like a step in that direction. I guess a better question is, like, is that worth it? Like, because you... Is, would it be worth it if you could do that even if you didn't have a way to buy single cards? Like, if all you could do is get rid of cards you didn't wanted and turn them into gems, which you could use for getting packs or, I guess, entering certain events, would that still be worth it? Or would you have to go the whole way and also have a way to essentially, like, buy singles, more or less? I mean, it's funny because as you dust it, the next time you open a pack, they're like, oh, you don't have this mythic. Oh, let me give it to you. <laughs> but <laughs> ignoring that for a second, I think it, is, it absolutely is worth it, right? Because there are cards that are in your collection that you will not use no matter what. So 40 gems is still better than nothing. Like imagine you're a limited player and you're like, I have no taste in these dirty 60 card decks, right? Every card you own is useless. So to, the ability to just dust them all is very lucrative for you, right? And then, uh, you know, if you open Kaya and other things, you're like, I don't want to build any deck that's a standard. 40 gems is better than nothing. So uh, it is good for you to be able to dust, but I, I still think Watsi's holding hard and fast to their, we don't want players to make this choice. Uh, we're forcing everyone to be a collector. Uh, but we are we're, we are getting close. Like maybe a couple more Reddit uproar threads and we'll be there. I don't know, right? Like it's getting it's getting close. <laughs> It is. It does seem like a step in that direction, and I would love it. I think most players would love it. I really, like, 
I don't know if I buy the argument that like we have to protect you from yourself. Like, oh, you might you might accidentally get rid of a card and then regret it later. <laughs> like, really, wizards, you you don't trust us enough to manage our own collections. <laughs> it reminds me of the oh, was like the Hearthstone nine deck slots thing or whatever. Where they, they, they dodged it for the longest time saying, oh, you know, more than nine will confuse players. That's not the good experience. <laughs> right? They're, they're just trying to like put any reasoning on this not to do dusting when I'm going to say it's probably pride or something, right? They're like, we don't want to be Hearthstone. We set this out from the beginning and, uh, we're going to stick to our guns. Yeah, I mean, I I guess that's probably it. I guess I still don't think it'll really happen, but this does seem like a small step closer. So maybe it's like slightly more likely it was than it was before this update. We can we can hope at least. Yeah. Oh well. Be- while we're on ahead. arena, remember to redeem your three free Ravnica Allegiance packs. Yes, play Allegiance. Yeah, play Allegiance. Play play Allegiance code will get you three packs, and according to my Twitch chat. Play Ravnica, which was the code for Guilds of Ravnica, also still works. So if you have not redeemed that yet and you're new to Arena, you can get three packs with that one as well. All right. uh, Let me check. Play War of the Spark (laughs) real quick. (laughs) Oh, man. Could you imagine if packs... You get like a Transformers card. You're like, what? (laughs) What is going on? Uh, Well, why we're talking about kind of economic stuff. We wanted to hit on Magic Online real quick before we get to Fish Mail, because uh, just randomly today, I don't even remember what brought me to this. I was looking at standard deck prices on Magic Online, and they are unworldly cheap. Like, it is still blowing my mind how cheap it is to buy tier standard decks. So if you look at, let's just say the top eight most played decks in standard on Magic Online. Uh, and if you're not familiar, ticks is equal to dollars. So Boros Weenie, 30 ticks. Mono Red Aggro, 22 ticks. Grixis Control with Nicole Boluses and a ton of Mythics, 54 ticks. Mono Blue Tempo, 9 ticks. Golgari, 58. Boros Aggro, 45. Is it Drake's, 21. Celestia Token, 64. Even Jeskai Control is only 87. I have never seen anything like this, and I'm used to there being an aggro deck or two that's really cheap, but this is control decks. These are decks with absurd amounts of mythics, like Grixis Control is 8 mythics, 31 rares. Uh, they're just decks that would have been $200, $300 on Magic Online a couple years ago, and now they're free. They're, I'm, they're just <laughs> incredibly cheap, so what is going on? With the Magic Online economy, Richard, what does what does this mean? Uh, you know, when you watch Twitch and like all the all the streamers are playing Arena and all the followers are watching Arena, no one is playing Standard on Moto, and it's way cheaper than you've even made it out to be. Because not only is it a thirty dollar deck, you can sell that back <laughs> when you're done. So it'll probably cost you like three ticks. Like your event costs more than your deck. Right, it is absolutely ridiculous. Grixis control is eight mythics, thirty-one rares. It's fifty-five ticks on Moto, three hundred and fifty dollars in paper. Right, so it is really cheap. I don't know why no one is playing it. Uh, you can actually earn, you can like earn quote unquote money on Magic Online too, right? Because as you play events, if you get rewards, you can actually cash them back out. So it is just a lot cheaper, especially when we're talking about dropping like two, three hundred gems on Arena. Uh, that's in Arena forever. So Moto is actually so cheap that like every deck is currently budget. 
Uh, so I, I don't know what to say. Like, if you want to test a bunch of standard decks, now is the time to test them out on uh, Moto. Unless no like, one is playing. Is everyone, is people, are people still playing on, Marie, uh, on, on Magic Online? People, I think that people have shifted to Arena, but people are still playing on Magic Online as well. So it's not like you'll never get a game, but there, uh, from what I've seen, there probably are less people playing on Magic Online and more people playing Standard on Arena. So, but you still will get a game. And the funny thing is, these prices are way cheaper than Arena, actually. Like, sure, if you're free to playing and you're not putting any money into Arena, that's one thing. But compared to be like buying 200 packs to get all the Ravnica Legion's cards I needed, I could have just like bought the top eight decks in standard or something on Magic <laughs> Online for that same amount of money and then sold it back for 75% or something when I was done with them. So I think we're oddly at a point where if you're thinking about building like a 31 rare eight mythic deck on Arena, it might actually be smart for you to buy it on Magic Online to test it first and make sure it's good before you invest your precious wild cards. Yeah. Like, as crazy as that sounds, that might be the right financial move compared to being like, oh my god, I spent all my wild cards on a deck that's not working, I gotta put a bunch more money in to get more wild cards. That might actually be the right move financially. Yeah, and actually one of our most popular videos on YouTube is getting started on Moto for $20. And uh, right now, that gets you a lot of tier decks. And did they waive the $5 startup? I remember they, they were talking they about it. They going to, yeah. but it hasn't happened yet. But this year, they're they're planning on waiving it. But yeah. like Model Blue Tempo, you can build Model Blue Tempo for like seven ticks. So it, even if you have never played Moto before, just signing up and, you know, getting getting a deck... That'll cost you less than, you know, a draft in paper, right? So it's, it's a good time to test out Moto if you've actually never tried it because it's still cheap right now. Yeah. It's, it's really incredible. And I wonder if, I wonder if this will help Moto in a weird way. Like if people will see these really low prices and be like, huh, maybe I should give this a shot. The other really interesting part of Moto compared to Arena, and you kind of hit on this a little bit, but you can actually make real physical money on Magic Online and cash out and get money for it. So for example, right now, uh, if you play a league on Magic Online, if you win 53% of the time, which is not that much. That's just barely over 50%. You will actually make a profit of between 70 and 54 cents a league, depending on whether you do competitive or constructed. And that's money that you can actually put back in your pocket. And if you win like... Uh, 65% of the time, you're making $8 in every competitive league you play. And so if you're really good and you feel like you're really good, uh, it's way cheaper than Arena because Arena, you're just like getting more cards, which is great, but this is actual real money. Like there, it doesn't happen as much anymore, but there were people who ground, uh, grinded, I guess, <laughs> Magic Online for a living to take advantage of this. So, uh, very interesting. Do you think this is the new normal, Richard? Is this just people grinding like, for a living? No, <laughs> no, 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 no. These prices, these, these prices, like, is this an abnormality and these, we're going to see standard become more expensive again? Or do you think because people are playing on arena, like, we're just going to have really cheap standard on Magic Online for as long as Magic Online is around? It'll be even cheaper, I think. 
Uh, just, just to help everyone, we, we dug into this a bit. So it seems like people are playing sealed and draft at the same rate as before. So that's just as popular. And you have this influx of cards. And remember that this is actually release weekend, right? This is like one of the times where decks are most expensive and we're already seeing these prices. But people are playing a lot of sealed and limited. They're getting rid of their cards so that they can play more. And usually standard players eat those cards up and keep the prices high. But since people are playing arena now instead of moto for standard, uh, these prices are tanking. When we look at modern prices, modern prices have kind of stabilized. They're not dropping. Uh, you unfortunately cannot play modern for 20, for $20 a deck. <laughs> So, so that seems okay. Sealed seems okay. It just seems like standard, which is where Arena, uh, is king currently, uh, is really eating away at Moto and it's just super cheap right now. And I think the other thing that kind of backs this up is it was pretty easy for me to get cards over the weekend. Normally, like in the past, people would, uh, the set would release, people would start playing pre-release events, and I'd be like, all right, I need these cards for, like, videos, I want to play this deck, and it would actually be hard to find copies of the card for up to, like, a week, like, the bots would be pretty low, they would have copies here or there, you'd have to bounce around, but right now, if just looking at GOAT bots, they have X4 of basically everything in, like, 10 different bots, so it seems like that's another sign that people are drafting and playing limited sealed and just selling their cards and then playing standard on arena, I think is what's happening. Yeah. Interesting. Well, if you've never tried out magic online, it is cheaper than arena right now to play standard. If you're just going to put in a bunch of money and buy a deck. So it's a pretty low cost way to try out some decks if you want to. Uh, so worth keeping in mind, it doesn't have the flash of arena as far as the cool animations and stuff, but you can make real money on it if you uh, get some wins. So interesting. At least this is great for commander clash <laughs> because before, uh, you know, if your deck had a standard card in it, you just were automatically over budget. Uh, now, <laughs> standard mythics and rares are cheap, uh, so your commander decks, so commander staples are dirt cheap already on Magic Online. So now that the standard cards aren't expensive, the only things you gotta worry for are modern staples. Uh, but it means you can build really cheap commander decks with all the newest cards now. So that's also a big boon for commander players. Yeah, and I mean, even older formats, it's cheaper than it used to be. They're still not cheap, but a lot of modern decks right now are eh, 200 to maybe at the high end for really expensive decks, maybe $400 uh, for like Jun style decks. And I definitely remember back in the day, maybe I don't even know when this would be. 2010, maybe something like that, buying into modern Jund on Magic Online. And I think I spent like 1200 bucks or something. It was a lot of money. And now even those decks, like 350 bucks for Jund isn't cheap, but it's way cheaper than it used to be. And it's way cheaper than paper where buying Jund and paper is still like 1600 and some dollars. So even though it's not as cheap as standard, you can still get some pretty good deals on older formats, too. Anyway, I think that uh, brings us to the end of our arena in Magic Online stuff. Did we have anything else we wanted to talk about, or are we moving on to fish mail? Uh, no, let's let's do fish mail. Uh, harvest... Oh, wait, I forgot the intro. Uh, if you have questions, <laughs> send them to at MTG Goldfish with the hashtag MTG Fish Mail, and we'll get to your questions on air. Uh, so, first question. Harvest for wit. Do you think the deliberate versatility uh, for the best of one format in effect 
And casting color costs of the split spells in Ravnica allow for Hero of Precinct 1 deck that plays entirely or almost entirely split cards in three to five colors. <laughs> I mean, yes. I think that's a thing you could do. I think I actually have uh, a viewer-submitted deck that someone sent in that was almost exactly that. The concern is you need more than just Hero of Precinct 1. Like, the split cards are good, but you really do need other threats because you'll have games where you don't draw Hero of Precinct 1. But I think it's definitely possible that you could build, like, a three-to-five color hero deck with a bunch of split cards, some other good multicolor threats, and uh, it could be fun. I mean, the mana base is going to be a challenge, but it still would, could be a pretty fun deck. All right, next question from Thrall. When cards rotate out on Arena, will the cost of acquiring them, one wild card, remain the same? This is assuming there's a new format Arena makes them useful. Or do you think they'll increase in price in some way? Hmm. I actually think they would decrease in price, actually, if anything. Yeah, I think my guess would be that they'll just cost the same, that one wild card will get you one card, but... I, I guess who knows? It seems like maybe if they start backfilling sets, which so far we haven't seen any signs of them being like, hey, we're going to put alpha or like old legacy vintage sets on the client. Maybe those cards would somehow be more expensive, but I expect that it'll remain the same or in an ideal world, maybe they're somehow cheaper because there's going to be less demand for them. Yeah, it'll be interesting how they do it because let's say like six sets from now, you need Ravnica Allegiance cards that you didn't open. Like, there are no, you have to, I guess, buy packs and hope you get the one. Like, you can't get them as rewards through events and things like that. So they'll be more expensive in that sense. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. But I suspect they'll do, like, flashbacks or they'll actually discount them. Like, one wild card gets two or something like that. Uh, Fun and James 85. Seth, can you explain how the format for Vintage Super League works if there are or if there have been any changes this season? So Seth, I heard I heard you're on Vintage Super League. <laughs> I am on Vintage Super League this season, and uh, actually I played my first. Well, I forgot we played Vintage Kabold. I must have blocked that out of my memory. <laughs> but I played what I thought was my first Vintage games for Much of Rue this past week, and it actually went pretty well. Uh, but the format is a little different. You only need one deck, I believe. So there's four players on the night that you play. You bring one deck, and you basically play everyone else in that pod. So you play each of those other players one time across the course of the night. Uh, not really sure about the playoffs. We'll deal with that when we get there. I don't know if that changes or not. Uh, I'm just hoping to not completely embarrass myself. That's goal number one. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> Did I embarrass myself? No, it's a victory. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take the moral yeah. victory. Thank you. <laughs> it's, are, are you one of those, like, they turn one thought sees you and you just scoop? <laughs> just like, oh, this no. was an, I don't want to show this hand I kept. Turn one, uh, get probe, uh, like, scoop. <laughs> moving on. Uh, the hands are revealed on camera, so that doesn't even save me. <laughs> uh, JStrong77. Opinion on arena impacting paper standard. All of my LGSs have barely been able to fire a standard event for two months. It was held up mostly by grinders, and with the change to tournament structure on Arena, they have all quit for modern. <laughs> have you seen or heard of this elsewhere? Uh, I have not heard too much about Arena impacting standard, uh, so I'm actually not sure. What about you, Richard? Have you heard that ha of that happening? Uh, it impacts me. <laughs> I, I, I don't go to LGS anymore, because it takes me no traffic 
maybe like 30 minutes traffic an hour and a half one way so i used to go in a lot but now i'm like i guess i'll just fire up arena but i think on social media i think it depends on where you live because i think a lot of it is yeah you might lose a couple players but you also might gain a couple players people that play arena and then like oh this is cool i want to go check out my lgs or something right so i think it's going to vary from store to store but we haven't really heard any like mass exodus from lgs this is actually one of the first reports we've seen of an lgs not being able to fire a standard event so i'm guessing it's region to region i'm guessing it depends on how much snow you have on the ground you know if there's a blizzard you're probably more likely to play arena instead of driving out to the lgs uh so i think it's a number of factors yeah i think i think that makes sense and uh we talked about earlier how we heard about some new players showing up to pre-release so i think ideally like for every player that's just like all right i'm just gonna play on arena or i'm gonna switch to modern there'll be a new player coming in from arena that maybe wasn't part of the game before i think in theory that would be how it hopefully will work out anyway yeah uh captain wow 26 what is the best way to get rid of all bulk commons and uncommons from your collections i seem to have a bunch of cards i have no use for and are not constructed or edh playable Love the show. Thanks for the contents. Uh, so they're not worth very much. I used to be able to get $5 a thousand for pretty much any amount of bulk cards you wanted to get rid of. I don't know if it's going for quite that much anymore, but you have a few options, like try to bring them to an event and get rid of them to a vendor, put them on something like Craigslist or eBay, Craigslist or something like that. Maybe Facebook market might be better. So you don't have to ship them. If you have like 5,000 bulk commons, it's actually pretty expensive to ship. So I think basically don't expect too much money and just try to find or go to your local game shop. Some local game shops will just buy a bunch of bulk cards as well. So those are probably the best options, but avoid shipping if you can because it is it makes it it's so expensive that it's not especially worth it if you actually have to ship the bulk commons yeah i would just avoid getting them in the first place (laughs) so after you draft just take the rares and like the commons and uncommons you need and then leave the rest of the cards uh for you know newer players to pick up or usually you just leave them at the lgs uh assuming your lgs is okay with it people will pick them up right uh so that's what i typically do and then if you have cards that you've accumulated at home bring them to the lgs and give them out right like there are lots of players that uh they want cards for commander or things like that you know they're not they're not playing like tournament level magic so even your bulk stuff they'll pick up or they'll repack into you know sealed things like that uh so i would actually do that or also maybe try donating them to like a school or something if they have like a magic club i don't know libraries just try to just give them away but like see where you can give them away to (laughs) 11 vicious other games like future card and whatnot there are several levels of rarity in cards some card rarities appear once per case and are very difficult to find how would magic be affected by adding such rarity levels in cards what would it do to the formats ah didn't we have that with the infamous fatal push that's not actually an uncommon <laughs> we've uh, had we've I mean, had these theories since the beginning of magic so maybe maybe it actually is happening and we don't know what the impact is <laughs> i think like the other comparison is something like nexus of fate which i wasn't actually in packs but there was some cur- 
concern about how rare it was. I think the biggest impact would be financially. Like, if there was a card that was not printed in any other form, let's say Teferi, a Chase Planeswalker like that, they're like, all right, we're going to make this once per case instead of uh, once every three boxes or so, which I think is the average now for a Mythic. You would see those cards be a lot more expensive and maybe even like prohibitively expensive if they were standard staples. So I think it works much better when they did like the masterpieces, for example, where they're super rare. They were like once per case, but you could get other versions of those as well. It didn't ruin the economic side of the game as much or make decks way too expensive. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know what the point of doing this would be, right? You want to keep it simple enough because we already have call it eight rarities you have the normal rarities and then the foil counterparts and then you have nexus of fate and you have promos so we have all kinds of rarities today uh my guess is they want to keep it as simple as possible so you can actually think about the odds of getting something and be excited about it as opposed to like oh yes this is uncommon subsection eight right like it's gonna be super confusing uh also from 11 vicious not sure how true this is, but the other day I saw an article that read that Walmarts were going to start building esports arenas within their stores. What are your thoughts on this? I'm against it. No desire to grind arena tournaments in a grocery store. I have not heard of this. I, does it doesn't sound that appealing to me when we're used to local game stores. I think having your FNM at a Walmart would be something I wouldn't be super excited for personally, but... It seems like a really bad thing for local game stores if that's the direction things are headed. I mean, it's eSports Arena, so my guess is they're not focusing on Magic, but just just like other games. Like, this this is like arcades going full circle. Like, remember, like, go back 20 years or something, you go to the grocery store and there's like a Street Fighter 2 machine sitting there, and your sole purpose for going to that store was playing Street Fighter 2. Or your parents would go to the store and leave you at that arcade machine while they do shopping. Uh, if they are building something like that, I guess that would be it, right? You're not meant to go here and grind away, but rather uh, as a parent or something, it's just like another appeal to, to come here. Like think of it as maybe like the play area at McDonald's. Like it's another draw for you to come to their restaurant. Like you're not going there to just play in the play thing, but like if you're going to go eat, and you want something to do with your kids, then why not, right? So I guess it'd be like that, like arcade machines, but the 20, 2019 version. And we'll just put esports on it to make it sound more legit. Okay, well, I, I could see that. That I was picturing like t- tournaments and tables set up with people playing each other. And that that would be a little weird. But if it's a place to dump off your kids to play some <laughs> video games, that's that's Maybe. Maybe we'll have the Walmart Invitational. <laughs> Maybe. I like the animal. I'm waiting for the day that we become NASCAR, where like, you know, you have like sponsored sleeves today. Instead of one brand on the back of your sleeves, you have like eight. (laughs) You come in with a jersey with like 20 logos on it. (laughs) I mean, that would probably be a good thing, right? That would mean the game was doing well. I think that would that would probably be okay. All right. Run Thunder Snow. Why do so many people want Splinter Twin unbanned? I feel it'll be bad for the format in so many ways. I guess this is the other hero that everyone is asking for stoneforge mystic or splitter twin <laughs> what, what what do you what do you think about a splitter twin unbanning so the argument for splinter twin is 
there's some reason to believe that it kind of kept the format in check to some extent, and it's really hard to say because it's been so long since Splinter Tune was banned. Is it that Modern has just become more degenerate over the past few years since it was banned, or did Splinter Twin, with its combination of like early interaction, not winning until turn four, and often way later than that, was that actually the deck that was holding all these degenerate combo decks? down. So so is Splinter Twin actually a healthy thing for the format that like slows thing down slows things down and makes uh people play more fairly or is modern just different now because we've gotten more sets of cards, there's more synergies. I don't think we know for sure, but I think there is an argument to be made that Splinter Twin makes a format a little bit more healthy and a little bit less fast and degenerate. All right, what feels less bad, Seth? You sit down against an opponent. Uh, on turn three, they play a bunch of rituals and then kill you, essentially, <laughs> right? Or you sit down against an opponent and then turn two, counterspell, turn three, counterspell, turn four, you're dead. Which feels less bad because that's kind of the difference between the two, right? Like, yeah, Splinter Twin is slightly slower, but then you're still not doing much anyway. <laughs> They're just controlling you until that point. So I kind of see where this is going, but I feel like it gives control strategies or I guess like a better shot by converting them into temple strategies. But if what Watsi is saying, if Watsi uh, is correct in saying that control decks are actually the second best decks in modern, then I'm going to assume they do not want to give Splinter Twin the go-ahead, right? Because it basically makes control into tempo where you don't have to control for five turns, you control for two turns, and then you win. Uh, that would probably be too good if it's already the second best deck in the format. Yeah, I mean, that is the counter-argument. If they're not going to unban Stoneforge because they're afraid it's going to make control too good, Splinter Twin would be even more likely to power up control decks, I think. Yeah. Uh, next question. Uh, Jay Hoviskas, there has been a lot of talk about banning Ancient Stirrings recently. I do think it is too good in the decks it's in, but if it's the best cantrip in modern, like some people say, why does it see no play in Legacy or Vintage? So, I think a big reason for this is just the differences in how the formats are constructed. In Legacy, and also to Vintage, you have a really big incentive to be blue, primarily, because a Force of Will, for one thing, is kind of just a necessary evil to not die to Degenerate decks. Plus, you have a kind of a critical mass of really powerful blue cards, where you have uh, Ponder, and Preordain, and Brainstorm. And then, if you go back to Vintage, you also have the blue Power 9. Blue is the one color that gets a bunch of Power 9 cards and no other has. So I think that's the biggest reason, is the older Eternal formats almost kind of force you to some extent into blue when it's not really quite the same in modern, where you have more diversity of colors because you don't have the Force of Wills and the Brainstorms. Yeah. Can you imagine if Ancient Stirrings was blue? <laughs> oh my goodness. But I think the other thing is, like, there's the artifact decks aren't uh as degenerate i guess in these older formats like yeah they're degenerate decks but all the other colors have more degenerate things to be doing whereas in modern i think most of the degeneracy comes from from the colorless decks 
So there's a big incentive to play Agents during. Yeah, and I think the other thing is you have more options in older formats. Like, if you're trying to assemble Tron or Cloudpost, you have stuff like Crop Rotation, which is kind of just better. And then a lot of the powerful colorless decks that we see in older formats tend to be, like, really colorless, like mud strategies, because you want to take advantage of, like, Ancient Tomb, you want to take advantage... Uh, the other two mana land that I can't think of, City of Traders. Uh, so you want to play a lot of colorless mana, and it makes it a little bit harder to cast a one mana green spell. Yeah, and you don't need to tutor for your broken lands; they just come. <laughs> four, <laughs> four City of Traders, four Ancient Tombs. Like you're good to go. You don't, you don't need. Uh, MTG news today. What are the other thirty six things that Seth is worried about on turn three <laughs> before Batter Skull? <laughs> Oh man, I was hoping no one would ask this because because I didn't actually write a list. I, I maybe I'll have to do an article. The 37, 37 things I'm most scared of on turn three in modern. I I've actually you, you get close to filling that out. I, I think there's a lot of things I'd be a lot more scared of. I like Karn. Search for his Kanta. <laughs> like search, a lot of things. <laughs> search for his Primeval Titan with Amulet on the battlefield. Like, there's a. I think I really could come close to 36 things that I'm more scared of than Batter Skull. Like a Thought Seize on turn one. There are like all yeah. kinds of things that don't kill you, but, you know, are bad news for you. Much worse than seeing someone tutor up a Batter Skull. <laughs> uh, last question. Sebastian Tans, how do you feel about adding Armageddon or Stone Rain? into standard oh boy personally i would have a blast making other people miserable but i also know that it probably would not be a good thing overall wizards is trying to get new people into the game with arena and so forth and having games that are just like you can't do anything and land destruction is like the epitome of that more than thought sees more than doom blade the other things that make people more than counter spells where new players feel like oh, i'm not getting to play magic having no lands and just literally not being able to cast all your cards is that is the highest level of that so i would have fun with it i'm sure there's other people who like making opponents miserable and doing busted stuff that would enjoy it but i think it would be very unhealthy overall I think it's bad because players hate it, but I personally would love it. Like when we played old school, the first deck I jumped with, jumped at was Urnumgeddon. Like the <laughs> the ability to just curve out and then Armageddon your opponent is hilarious in my opinion, right? Like I don't know, it, it punishes people f- for playing lots of mana. Like I feel about this in Commander. In Commander, not nearly enough Armageddons are played. Like when you play a lot of creatures onto the board. Uh, you expect to get punished. When you play, when you draw a lot of cards, you expect to get punished. But when you play a lot of lands, e.g. ramp them up, like why, why should you not get punished? Right? So I feel like it, you know, in Commander, if there's no Armageddon, your best strategy is just to get a whole bunch of mana and then like just any terrible card that costs 10 mana is probably good enough to win the game. Uh, so that's, that's my opinion. So I think we should have Armageddon. Uh, like Stone Rain, I think we should have in standard. I think Stone Rain is not as egregious as Armageddon. Like Armageddon, yeah, it feels bad. But a Stone Rain, like three mana, kill a land, like, I don't know, seems I, decent. I think that's probably, I can see an argument for Stone Rain, especially if we didn't have 
Llanowar Elves or Birds of Paradise. I think when Stone Rain is especially devastating is when you have that turn one ramp. We see that be good enough in Modern for Ponza decks, where if you just play a Mana Dork on one, blow up your opponent's first land on turn two, do it again on turn three, that leads to some really unfun games. So I think I would be concerned about that. But if you have to play it fairly and you don't have the one mana Mana Dork, then then maybe it would be okay for standard. Uh, what we need is like turn one Deathrite Shaman or something. <laughs> and then like Stone Rain and then like Snapcaster Stone Rain. Uh, yeah, it'd be great. I like Stone Rain. I, I, the reason they don't like Stone Rain, so we have three mana land destruction, but they don't like basic land destruction, right? The same reason we don't get strip mine anymore. Uh, Wasteland is bad enough, right? But definitely not strip mine. And usually it's non-basic land hate. Uh, so, so the three mana non-basic land hate was what we get. Uh, it'd be interesting so, to see if we get a creature though, like a, say a two drop that can like stone rain as an activated ability. Do you think they'd ever do something like that? I was just going to ask you if they would ever reprint Fulminator Mage. Like then that's three mana and uh, it has to sack itself. No, it's, I mean, that's, that's basically just a sorcery. <laughs> that's like, a, that's just basically so, stone rain. So what would like a two mana creature where you like, pay a bunch of mana and you have to pay so you have the chance to like kill it before it destroys your land all right so like magus magus of the stone rain the worst magus (laughs) creature ever (laughs) maybe if it was three mana i don't i don't think they'll do magus of the sinkhole but maybe magus of the stone rain what what about like adapt or something it's like a one drop that adapts four and when you adapt it destroy a land (laughs) i guess that's called monstrous at this point (laughs) (laughs) i mean that that could that could work. I think you'd ah, I could see them doing something like that if it was costing four mana in total. I would be surprised if we see three mana land destruction again in standard. Yeah. I, I just wish we could kill lands. Like they're clearly not shy about taxing you, right? Like we get all kinds of taxing cards, right? Like pay one more mana to cast something. That's a, essentially a permanent stone rain. Right, but like that's okay, but we can't actually kill the land, so it's actually very interesting how they, you know, in the same way that you can doom blade something, but you can't counter it because countering it feels worse, even though effectively the same thing happened, right? But psychologically, there's a difference in it, so it's actually interesting how Watsi has broken this down. I think, I think that's it. I think it's just a psychological thing where, like. Yeah, you feel better knowing you can cast your stuff, even if it gets killed, even if it costs you more mana, than feeling like you can't actually do anything. Yeah. All right, we'll start a campaign. Armageddon is standard. <laughs> Ar- uh, all right, good luck. <laughs> I like Armageddon. I, Wizards is- I like Armageddon too, but I don't think Wizards is going to go for it. <laughs> It's like, I don't know, day of, if, if you're an aggro deck and someone has like a turn three and turn four rat, the game is over anyway, right? So in the reverse case, if you're a control deck and someone has a turn three or four Armageddon, the game is over for you, right? Like you better hold up that mana leak. I, I want to see Armageddon. I want to see Armageddon. I, I hope, I hope they somehow add one somewhere. Like they should just do like some weird standard that only lasts for like two months. Where they just do weird things in it and then make it go away after to clean it all up. <laughs> yeah, like like with Unstable and Commander. They're yeah. just like, ah, eh, these cards are all legal for two months and then they're not. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. All right. That's all our fish mail this week. Thank you to everyone who sent it in. If you have questions, send them to at MTG Goldfish with the hashtag MTG Fish Mail, and we'll get to your questions on air. And I think that brings us to the end of episode 207 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. So, Richard, thanks for hanging out. Everyone, thanks for listening. Uh, thanks again to Spikes Academy for supporting the show. You can get 10% off at spikesacademy.com with the code goldfish. Uh, so, with that, we're signing out for the week. We'll be back next week to talk about whatever happened in the world of magic. So until then, this is Drew signing out.